Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. In Genesis chapter 3, opening chapter of the Bible, opening book of the Bible, God creates everything we know. He creates mankind and places them in the Garden of Eden, if you choose to believe that. I'm just telling you what it says. Whether you believe it or not, it's your choice. And, uh, but the story goes that way, that he, play, he, he creates mankind, Adam and Eve. He places them in the Garden of Eden. And what we learn is after he finished creation in six days, on the seventh day he rested. And uh, he, he was finished. An interesting scenario parallel to that is um, on the seventh day of the week would be uh, the same scenario when Jesus came and he was crucified. As it was in creation, on the seventh day, God didn't say, let there be. God didn't speak. He was silent. He was finished. He rested. And in like fashion, on the Saturday or the seventh day of the week, following the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, heaven was silent. God was silent. Jesus was in the tomb. But that would change the next morning. Um, Romans goes on to tell us, he says, the same spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And we believe that it was the spirit of him, again, that raised Christ from the dead, and we hold on to that. And so a wonderful thing happens, as it did in the Garden of Eden. You see, after that final day of creation, it said that the wind would blow, and we believe that to be the spirit of God. And here's what it says. And God came to walk with them every day. There's nothing that is more poignant or powerful and discloses the intention of God towards mankind more than that verse. God's heart towards mankind is just to walk with us and have a relationship with us. Just to walk with us, to fill us, to inform us about who we are, how he made us, and how we can live life completely. But the first two created human beings listened to another voice of worth. It was a lie. Scripture says that. Three words surface. When God shows up that day, they hide from him. And we're going to start a series next week about shame and how the cross of Christ began to reverse that and how God wants to remove it from our life. I'm just so excited about that. But when God shows up that day, they're hiding. He says, where are you? We're hiding over here. Why are you hiding? They say these things. They said the serpent, you learn later on in Scripture, in the closing Scripture, actually, it's closing book of the Bible, Revelation said that Satan, the devil, that serpent of old, very clearly identified, he slithers into the garden, and they said the serpent, here it goes, deceived us. Did you know the very first word describing evil in the Bible is the word deception? Deception. We are tricked into believing something that is not true about us and about God. It's the heart of deception. So it said we were deceived, we were afraid, and so we hid. Those three words describe the essence of every problem you'll encounter personally. I do not offer... Those of you that share life with us here for all these years, you know that. I don't come to it that, you know, life is just this cliche uh, or or that presents us with problems that can be answered by sound bite and cliche. Life is complicated. Life is tough. But I believe this. For every problem you'll confront, whether it's personally, intrapersonally, or interpersonally, in your marriage, relationship, any conflict that you have out there in the world, those three words come to bear. It starts with deception. Somebody's deceived. Then they become fearful. 
either about what you believe about me or what I believe about you or what I believe not true, and then we hide. We retreat and we hide. That's the condition of the world on the last day in Eden. Romans 5 says death entered. God quit walking with mankind. He quit walking with mankind on that day. Then comes the incarnation, Jesus born, the Son of God, born in, uh, among men, a baby in a manger. He grows up, he spends 30 years and three years of ministry, and we get a snapshot in living color of what God intends towards mankind. And what does he do? Well, he certainly didn't have automobiles then, so the fact that he walked places is not a surprise. But he didn't just walk places. He walked right into the middle of people's lives who weren't expecting him. Matter of fact, the, the outreach the behind the door production portrays just that. He would walk in, in into the life of a, of a woman at the well whose name we don't know, who was rejected, and he would tell her, of all people, what worship was. Here's how you can get worth back to the center of your life. He would walk into the life of a, a lame man, couldn't walk, stuck, couldn't help himself, and, and he would say, you don't have to lay there anymore. You want to get up and go. He would find them one at a time. He would walk into their life. And what we learn at the end of those three years is God has never changed his mind. He just wants to walk with you. He just wants to talk to you. Then he's crucified on a cross. You know, one of the most compelling stories that I've shared each night, as a matter of fact, as we were going through the book of John in our 21 days of devotion in the month of January, John chapter 9 in that study of all of it, 9 and 17 were the big ones for me this time through the study. Every night I've shared that story. Many of you have heard it, but it's just seized my heart. It's the story of a blind man whose name we don't know. They walk into this village or city his disciples look at the blind man sitting across and they say to, the, to Jesus, Master, and it says he's blind from birth. Who sinned, this man or his parents? And there's a good reason why that seems to be a silly question because if he was blind from birth, what could he have done, right? But they held a belief based upon, an, it was a Jewish uh, consciousness based upon the Old Testament and uh, twins that were born and one trying to pull back on the other one that goes back to Isaac. And um, uh, the or Esau, and, um, and he says, who's sin? He says, neither one. He says, but here's the deal. Let's work while it's a day, for soon night will come when no man can work. And he essentially looks at them and says, what are you going to do about this problem? It says Jesus knelt, took spittle, dirt, made mud. He put it on the guy's eyes. It never says he spoke to the guy. I laugh at that every time I read it. Imagine the surprise when he's just sitting there. Never said he spoke to him until he put this mud on his eyes. And he said, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he did. He washed and instantly he could see what takes place after that. And we learn later on in the story that when he's being quizzed, they quiz his parents. And they say, well, is, is this true that he was blind from birth? And they said, he's of age. Ask him yourself. That could have meant he's anywhere from 20 to 30 years old. Well, why is that important? Because for 20 to 30 years, he's been blind. Since he was old enough, I don't know at what age they would have put a child out on the side of the road to beg. But he's been a beggar. He's been put on the side. Every day for those 20 to 30 years, thousands of days, one can imagine that what has seized his consciousness is, if I could just see. If I could just see, I would be included in conversations. 
People wouldn't walk right by me like I'm a fixture on the wall or a fly or a bug or something like that. I would be invited into a conversation. I hear life passing by. I hear the stories of other people, but no one engages me. And it's even at the beginning of the story, the disciples didn't. They turned to Jesus and talked about him. Jesus walks over and he puts mud on his eyes. And the only words that he hears at that point... The the blind man is go wash in the pool, so he does. He comes back. There's three ongoing, nonstop interrogations. They're assault. He's assaulted with questions about life, about who he is, about what happened and all of this. But no one asks him any really questions that matter. He's just being drilled down on. First, his neighbors ask him. Then they take him to the Pharisees. and, And after the Pharisees, they come and get him again and take him to the synagogue to be questioned by the elders and the rulers about what's happening, who is this guy, and how is it going on, how can you imagine that? He says, look, I, 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 I don't know. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. Hey, do you want to be a follower of Jesus too? Go, no, no, absolutely not. Who are you to speak to us? And by the time you get to verse 34, it says, and they put him out. We don't know the chronology or the timeline of that chapter. One can imagine, maybe somewhere, eight to ten hours. For eight to ten hours, for the first time that his deepest dream and hope has been realized, he's been able to see, finally, all day long. Now he's not on the roadside. He can see people. People are seeing me. I'm going to be part of life. But eight or ten hours later, after being drilled down on and hammered by every question, it says these words, they put him out. And the following verse says, and Jesus came and found him there. Jesus finds him. Now remember, he's never seen Jesus. At best, he's only heard words, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Jesus finds him and says, hey, do you believe in the Son of Man? He says, I don't know who he is, Lord. And then Jesus says this, he's the one who's having a conversation with you right now. Right now, he looks at him, the blind man, looking being the operative word here. He looks and says, I believe, and then four words, and he worshiped him. Now, that's powerful because I'm going to read to you another segment of scripture in a moment. But my takeaway from that was, wow, worship is our response to an ongoing conversation from God's side of the equation. Because I believe this deeply, that when Jesus found him later that day, and he says, do you know, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you know who I am or know who he is? I believe there was an echo in his heart that says, I know this voice. There's something that I recognize here. There's something. And then when he says it, his natural response was, and he Worshiped him. The takeaway is this. Worship is the conversation the human soul is dying to have. And I mean that in the biggest sense of how we live life and what informs us. But I also mean it in the most subjective senses of like all of these weirdos on the platform jumping around this morning singing songs. Why? Because it's our side of a conversation that's going on. It's responding back to the echo of eternity 
that bounces off the corridors of time and space. It's been ringing according to Ephesians chapter 1 since before the foundation of the world. It said God started a conversation about me before the foundations of the world. It said blessed be the Lord God and Father of Jesus Christ who has blessed us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus who spoke concerning us before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world God started a conversation. You may not know who the voice was, but there can come a moment. It's the day after the resurrection. I haven't taught from this passage of scripture that I'm about to read. It's lengthy, but you'll love the story. It's two disciples, two other than the 12 disciples. It says that just before that, that it's uh, that they had gone and found that, that Jesus was resurrected, another group. But it says, on the first day of the week. Now, that's the same day that Jesus was resurrected. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. If you'd like to read along or make note of it so you can read it when you go home. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing spices that they had prepared. That's a group of women that were named previously. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, these, uh, uh, according to Scripture, it says it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Salome, three of the women disciples, came to put spices on his body. Okay, but it said the stone was uh, the, the stone had rolled away from the tomb. But when they had entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them. Why, why do you seek the living among the living one among the dead? You know, these angels, I think they learned from 33 years earlier when they appeared to Zechariah, the high priest in, in the Holy of Holies. And he said to Zechariah, Zechariah would be 80 plus years old. He and his wife, Elizabeth, they would give birth to the person we know to be John the Baptist. And, and Zechariah, the priest is inside there and an angel appears and says, good news. It says, Zechariah was full with fear, wondering what everything meant. He says, you're going to have a child. Zechariah's response was, do you have any idea how old I am? Now, how many know if an angel appears? We're going to come up with something better than that. You know, for years, there's an old colloquial, uh, I don't know a better word to use, phrase we use. It's probably 30 years. Oh, I forget how, because all of our little sound bites, you know, sort of come from a movie or something. But you still hear it from time to time. Not as popular as it's been in the past. Somebody will say something overwhelming and you'll say back to them, shut up. As, Man, that's just too amazing. That's what Gabriel, Gabriel started that. Go read Luke chapter one. He looked at Zechariah in disbelief and Zechariah says, I'm too old to have a child. And Gabriel says, shut up. You, see, you said, it's not what he said. Go to Tom's version. It says, you won't speak for nine months until the child's born. It's just short of words. It's easier to get. We don't know which angel appeared here. It's just two more angels. Now they've showed up. I, I think they have learned sarcasm in the last 33 years. See, they're prepared this time for their next encounter with humanity and people who don't believe what God says is going to happen. This time, it's not the birth of Jesus Christ, but it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when they came up, you know, that Jesus said was going to happen over and over. And it said the women, uh, their faces to the ground and said, uh, what have, you know, where's he gone? You read the other gospel parallels and they'll say, what have you done with him? And I love this. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? I don't know if an angel puts his hand on his hips when he said that. 
But I mean, what are you doing looking for the living among the dead? You know, that's not a very gracious way of doing it. But I think that they've learned something in the 33... Well, my point made, all right? And uh, they said, he is not here, but he is risen. Remember what he said to you while he was still here? Saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb, reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now there were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of, Jesus, uh, of James, and other women. The other with them, with them were telling them these things to the apostles. But the words appeared to them as nonsense. Got to get the angel back there, right? Now the apostles or disciples are looking at him saying, you know, you, you've lost your mind. And they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only and went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Now, here it just, there's, it segues to verse 13. Two different disciples. And behold, two of them were going that day to a village named Emmaus and was about seven miles from Jerusalem. We don't know who these guys were. Okay? And they were talking with each other about all the things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing... Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. That, that, that excites me every time I read it because everyone looked this way. What you need to know is that we have the same God that's never changed his mind from creation. He would come every day to walk. He had to fix the problem, but the cross and the resurrection was the fix. And here's what I want to tell you. Every person here, whether you recognize Christ as your Savior, or you read the Bible, or you've accepted or been born again, whatever, there's a God that walks every step with you every day right by your side. You may not have invited him, but he's walking, and he's talking the whole time. That conversation, that's a one-sided conversation. It may be one-sided, and it nags you, see, because you're going to learn something about how that conversation works here in just a moment. It said, but the eyes, their eyes were prevented from recognizing him, Jesus. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, um, what, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? Now, please get this. You can go back and read Genesis 3, the account of Jesus, God showing up at the garden, and he says... Where are you? How many know whenever God asks a question, he's not looking for information? He is wanting to start a conversation. If we would learn that, every time we have this whispering of an echo of a question, here's the smart thing. Okay, you didn't come looking for information, but you're wanting me to talk about a thing right now, so you have my attention. He tried to reach out in the garden and they avoided it. And boy, is that a whole other story that would be fun to talk about. And I love talking about it. But he says to them on the road to Emmaus, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? Now, remember, it says to this point, there's two of them walking, walking along. And it says Jesus approached them. So they're walking together. Now Jesus is there. And he says, what are you guys talking about? Watch at the end of this verse. And verse 17 says, and they stood still looking sad. That means they stopped, turned and looked at him, and here comes the words from Cleopas. And one of them, Cleopas, answered, remember, they stopped and turned and looked at him and said, are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware of all the stuff that's been going on? You clearly aren't on Facebook. Now watch that. 
He's walking on a road to life. See, that, that is an irritating question when God first shows up and we first may recognize a hint of his life and we're going through stuff. We're going through really bad stuff and all of a sudden you're there in a moment of deep grief and despair because what they go on to say, watch, let me show you the context for having your starting conversation with him. Uh, one of them named Cleopas said, that happened here and, he, and Jesus says back, verse 19, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified. Look at verse 21, but we were hoping. You see, typically these irritating conversations with God will begin when we've exhausted our hope in life, and God shows up and says, what's going on? And we will typically first find God in the middle of a frustrated with reality to where, do you know what's going on in my life? There's this and that and one thing. And then somebody's going to offer you the opportunity about God. And it's like, seriously? Do you think he has any idea what's going on in my life? Only people who are really struggling with hope get that. Only people. And we've all been there at some point. But we were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. You know, we all come to God with attitudes about God. Well, if there's a God in the world, then why does he allow this? And why does that happen? And why is this? We try to reduce him to some simplistic resolution to theodicy. Why is evil here? Why does it go on? And the complexities and the why. As a matter of fact, John 9 starts with that. When the disciples look and said, why is he like this? Did you know Jesus really doesn't ever answer it down through verses 3 and 4? It's sort of a non sequitur response. He doesn't say why it's like that. He simply says, what are you going to do in the face of it? We live in a world where this stuff happens. Conversations begin at those moments. It was he who was going to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. And also some of the women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early this morning. They didn't find his body. They came saying that they had also seen vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, and it was just exactly as the women also had said, but it was just a group of dingbat women. They didn't see him. The men went to check it out and make sure it was real, but they didn't see him. Watch, Jesus speaks. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glories? And then Jesus began, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained. He opened to them, the word says there. I love the Greek word. Pay attention to this one. It's good. The things concerning himself and the scriptures. As they approached the village, that's Emmaus, where going, he acted as though he were going further, going on. But they urged him, saying, stay with us. You know, I, I love that because it's like, Okay, so Jesus is playing mind games. No, I believe what it's saying is Jesus says, I'm going to go on ahead because your road goes on from here. I'll be waiting for you on the road. I want everyone to hear this because I believe it is solid theology I can provide from many other places in Scripture. He doesn't take another step invasively until your life without an invitation. See, Jesus was essentially saying, when, when you get back on the road, I'm going to go ahead because... I want you to know I'll be on the road ahead of you. Can I tell you this? 
For every person that's in the room, if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, if you leave this building and don't accept Christ, I want to tell you, by the time you get to Monday, Jesus has already gone ahead on that road. and He'll be waiting for you. And he'll keep walking. He'll keep nagging. He'll keep dropping the little echoes of those things. He'll be there. Either way. But it says they urged him saying, hey, would you stay with us? For it's getting towards evening and today's now nearly over. And so he said, yeah, he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined, that's in the Near Eastern ancient culture, they, the tables were not with chairs such as we know. They would be very low, maybe 12 to 14 inches high. There would be cushions of some sort around there. And they would recline on an elbow and they would lay to eat and they would reach across. So when it says, and he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and breaking it, he began giving it to them. There's a lot more to be said about this. Watch this, verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, watch this, listen closely. They said to one another, weren't our minds brought to a new level of cognitive understanding as we walked down the road and he gave us the theological treatise and all the prophetic things mentioned about him in the Old Testament with overwhelming evidence and historicity that removed any doubt from our mind. That's the expanded translation. It doesn't say that. It says, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking us, was us on the road explaining. Same Greek word. It began to open. It began to open. And they got up that very hour and they went to Jerusalem. Now, this message for all of us today. Um, Sarah, wherever you are, go around and get ready in a second. You can put your stuff down. 11.03. means we've been here 63 minutes. If this is your first time here, I'm normally, we're normally done. I'm normally done in 45 by quarter till. So come back next week. So it doesn't take much time. As a fib, a big fib, big, big. Hang on, sweet. Um. There's a couple songs I want you to hear, okay? Can you handle that? Get your hands free. Go ahead and roll that first track I sent you, John. I'm going to invite you back to the theater. Yeah, I can see song, all right? Turn to somebody and say, you know that nagging voice? Go ahead. That nagging voice, it's him. It's him. Father, we love you. All at once he walked beside me. It was like he'd been there all along. Not a stranger, but a father who can sense when something's wrong. He answered all my questions. He seemed to understand my fears that somehow vanished 
now that he was near. I can see who walks with me. I can see who speaks my name. Seems there's something burning in my heart. Oh, those words ring strong and true, like a once familiar strain. Can the path that I follow from this day on be the same? <clears throat> so I asked him not to leave me. <clears throat> I begged him, please stay. Spend the evening. Just a few moments before he went his way. Then, like a host, he stood and blessed us. He broke the bread and poured the wine. Then I knew there was something I recognized. Can you see? Can you hear who speaks your name? It's just something burning in your heart. All oh, those words ring strong and true, like a once familiar strain. The path that I follow from this day on. Can't be the same. And for the first time in my life, I really looked into his eyes. I saw eternity shining through. And from that moment in time, I felt the emptiness subside. Suddenly, I knew. Can't you see who walks with you? Hear who speaks your name every day. It's not here. It's stirring in your heart. Those words ring strong and true, like a once familiar strain. The path you follow from this day on can't be the same. I can see the song speaks for itself. Fade that out and start her track, and this puts the frosting on it. Okay.
You can go ahead and start and just come on out, baby girl. Meet Mary Magdalene. If you haven't been here for any of these nights, I didn't know she was going to get to be with us this morning. We'll end here. Dan, if you can come out the keyboard. Hallelujah. What if he's here? What if he's walking by you today? If he walked in here with me, it seems more than I dare believe. If
If he's right here today. Here's the question. If this is you, what will I do? Right there. If you're here today, there's one simple question. I've come to tell you, you haven't been walking alone not one minute of your life. It may seem that way. He's not going to come in. He's not going to run over you. He's not going to show up daily and slap you on the back of the head and say, Hey, idiot, I'm right here. But like the blind man who all day long carried the echo of voice of a face and a presence he had never seen. Later that day, Jesus showed up and asked the only question that really matters. You see, we're barraged with endless questions from the day we're born into this world. Who are you? What color are you? Are you tall enough, pretty enough, handsome enough, wealthy enough, successful enough? Are you smart enough? Do you get the approval of this? Are you accepted by this group or that? Or do you have this possession? And the endless barrage of questions never stops. It beats us down and wears us down until we feel like we're so exhausted with the inability to answer every question life besieges us with. Until there's a moment of exhaustion in some moment when all of a sudden he whispers one more time. The only question that matters Do you know who I am? Do you know I've been walking with you the whole time? Would everyone bow your heads, please? Just close your eyes. I want to provide a moment of privacy. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to identify you. I just want to ask you a question. If you're here today and you'd say, Tom... That nagging echo of the heart, I, 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 I get it. I've never said yes to Jesus. I've never responded to the voice. I don't even know that that's the voice I thought was there. Thinking about God at times has just frustrated me because I can't make sense of this or I can't make sense of that. And if there is a God, then this or that. You see, but above and beyond that, the echo of that God doesn't quit talking. He doesn't quit reaching above your objections. You can't get rid of him because he's going to be on the road with you every day still saying, what is it you're talking about? What is it you're talking about? What is it you're talking about? Now, if you're here today and you want to say yes to him for the first time and start that conversation from your side. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.